welcome to Estradial Illusions. We have another Sundance Spotlight episode, which is so exciting because I miss Sundance terribly. 20, 24 films in six days, and yet I still uh, wish I could have stayed for the entire festival. But we have the composer for the first one of one of only two films to uh, make me cry during the festival. Mm. And uh, our listeners know that I am a bit of a crybaby during films. So that, that, that's, a, that's a testament to the power of Uncle Frank. And we have Nathan Barr here to uh, talk about uh, the score that he crafted for the film. Nathan, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I'm a, a film and television composer, um, and I've been doing what I do for about 20 years. And one of the filmmakers I've been lucky enough to um, uh, work with uh, somewhat regularly is Alan Ball. We did uh, seven seasons of True Blood together. And then um, when he got ready to sort of uh, get into post with Uncle Frank, he <clears throat> called me to come sit down with him, which I did. And we... Um, hit it off again uh it'd been a couple years since we had worked together and and he invited me to be the composer on the on the film so one of the things that really attracted me to uncle frank at first is uh as as a young uh as a young child uh growing up as a as a closeted uh i guess i get the double whammy of uh being gay and transgender uh Alan Ball's Six Feet Under was really one of it was the uh, as, as I as I wrote my review of Uncle Frank I couldn't get that image out of my head because it was really one of the first definitely the first television narrative that I'd ever seen that presented gay people in a very hum, humane dignified fashion their homosexuality wasn't a you know object for uh continual ridicule uh they had uh such a uh really mature and adult relationship that unfolded over the five seasons. So I knew that he was the kind of guy that knows how to handle this kind of subject matter. And he framed the narrative in a way that, that felt like it was, uh, it's a period piece. It takes place in the seventies about a, uh, uh, professor at NYU who has, a uh, he's from rural South Carolina and, uh, a lot of the narrative deals with the the uh, homophobia that he faces from his family, from his upbringing, and and just how it kind of uh, it, it some of the uh, events of the past ate away at him. And for I, I guess the film had such sort of a, a modern feel to it as a as a period piece. I wanted to ask you kind of about how that how that dynamic affected you uh, when it came to composing the music. Um, <clears throat> sorry, which part of it? The period piece part, or? Well, they're just I, I guess I, between True Blood and Six Feet Under, too. Yeah. I mean, Alan Ball has such a uh, sort of unique aesthetic, and actually, True Blood kind of fits. It's it's a uh, a very uh, southern feel to the show, but it, it it it's so thoroughly. Well, also the fact that it's a uh, vampire. You've got the the fantasy elements and all of that, and it feels so much like something that totally unique to what uh, Alan Ball does. Yeah. I think uh, Alan um, gets major props, as, as you've said, too, for the for his sort of treatment of uh, LGBTQ community issues, and not not sort of like uh, you know take, taking um, that very seriously. I'm a bisexual man myself, and and certainly with this film, um, uh, 
it was a deeply personal film for me to work on. Uh, I think the, uh, I don't want to give anything away about the film, but uh, yeah, the homophobia deals with and the ultimate sort of uh, acceptance uh, in the film is really, really beautifully told and was one of the great challenges for me as a composer was to, to um, in just the right way, uh, emotionally support that journey without becoming melodramatic and that was one of the biggest challenges of this film, whereas True Blood was something where <clears throat> you often wanted to throw in the kitchen sink as far as music was concerned because the performances were so deliberately big and, and um, you know, technicolor. Uh, this was one where the, the performances are, are um, not, not big performances. They're, they're absolutely beautifully um, regulated by all the actors, um, there are so many beautiful performances given in this film. And so the music was really all about supporting that journey without stepping on their toes. And the minute the music got in any way <clears throat> sort of deliberately emotional, it, it started to make things feel a little schlocky. Um, and so that was, that was my, my great challenge was just to not step on the beautiful performances. So when I was, I didn't attend the uh, the premiere of uh, Uncle Frank because I had a, a conflict, but I saw it. I saw it the next day, and I was talking about it in line. And somebody brought up I, I I brought up the fact that it really, especially surprising for a film that takes place in the seventies, was it? It felt so optimistic. Like it, like one thing that we talk about in the LGBTQ community a lot is how to how to turn turn the page of these sort of relentlessly sad narratives of uh you know people make films about about gay people and it's just they're filled with their misery or they're killed at the end and uh uncle frank just really feels especially through the the character of wally uh like it's it's relent it's trying to keep such a uh upbeat tone and i was wondering if if when you were uh crafting the music if that was something that that you'd either been instructed to or had in mind of of just the power of music to really either uh in, enhance the emotion or to to change the feel of the scene entirely yeah i mean i think again i think it was just sort of um uh, a human approach again one of the the ways Alan, uh, as you said, treated the narrative and the this story was as you as you said so often in the past. It's uh, uh, it's a gay couple and they don't end up together, or one of them dies. And to make a film that that sort of doesn't uh, uh, head that direction and 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 is optimistic. And Wally is so um, the thing I love about Wally's character is like he's so completely comfortable with himself and accepting of himself and accepting of Frank, um, despite coming from a very, um, uh, oppressive, uh, and judgmental background. And, and, uh, so musically it really just, uh, became about like, I mean, I guess the film isn't out yet, so I don't want to give anything away, but, but there are, right. there are, there are a couple of beautifully intimate moments with, uh, with Wally and Frank, uh, which are which are presented as as they should be, which is which is two people uh, in an intimate relationship, and um, so so the music was really about just just uh, sort of embracing uh, th that relationship as I would any couple uh, with something emotional and beautiful um, without without being too saccharine or or over the top. So one of the other things I really liked about Uncle Frank is, uh, as the title suggests, you know, Uncle in Uncle Frank, uh, a lot of the narrative is uh, framed through his uh, niece, Beth, who 
is a, a, a freshman at NYU and uh, the narrative does a really good job. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of both her and, and Frank's movie. Uh, was that a, was that a challenge? The fact that it kind of has uh dual, dual protagonist. Did you find yourself uh, sort of trying to go for, for different things in each of their scenes? No, I think one of the things um, the, the the film, yeah, I guess the film begins in the perspective of, of Beth, but, but again, it's, <clears throat> it was about Beth sort of learning who her uncle is throughout the film. And so I, I didn't, yeah, it, it was, it was sort of, again, just about sort of uh, remaining emotionally balanced with the way the score approached these characters. And just as Beth is sort of discovering who, who her uncle really is for the first time, the, the music is helping sort of with that, with that journey. And, um, th- there's a lot of movement in the music, like under, underneath the melody. Uh, it's, uh, um, actually it's, uh, an organ, a pipe organ that I use. Um, <clears throat> and then also cello and strings. Uh, we t- did it with an orchestra and, and that, that, that sort of motion supported the part of the film, uh, that's sort of about the road trip. Um, while at the same time, uh, supporting, um, Beth and, and Frank getting to know each other better and, and Wally as they, as they, they move forward in the, in the film. So, um, I think it was more, more, more of an overall support of the entire, um, story as opposed to getting too obsessed with the uh, individual characters, um, and, and what the music needed to do for them. Did your, uh, experiences crafting music for, for True Blood and other Southern narrative, uh, uh, influence a lot of, well, not only just the Southern narrative, but, uh, another Alan Ball piece, did that, uh, have an effect on your approach for this film? You know, it didn't really. I think um, uh, I remember when I met with Alan in 2008, uh, before I got hired for True Blood, one of my pitches was, why not let the source music um, play to the place of the South and set set scene that way? And, and that would free up the score to sort of not have to plug into fiddles and harmonicas and banjos and all that stuff that would have been very on the nose. Um, and I think it was the same thing here again. I mean, Alan is such a brilliant storyteller and a writer, uh, and, and uh, the way he writes to me very real characters uh, that feel very uh, relatable. Um, and, and so the music, again, was the, the, the emotional um, journey was what needed to be supported. I don't feel like there's anything in the score that, that really speaks to the South uh, in particular, and that was definitely a deliberate choice. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that, that makes sense. I mean, I've spent a lot of time in, uh, uh, South Carolina and it's not, um, they, at one point early on in the, the film, they were talking about how, uh, Charleston had been, uh, a uh, lot of, a lot of gay people there. And it, I, I guess the, the, the feeling of, of it being, uh, behind the times from a place like New York City was present as it's present now. And, uh, it, it was definitely an interesting, uh, dynamic to deal with being, uh, you know, you hear it so often about people trying to define, uh, where the South is and <clears throat> people in Georgia may not look at, uh, South Carolina as, as particularly Southern. And, uh, my dad's side comes from Maryland when they parts of that sure feel like the South. So that's definitely an interesting dynamic to, to cover. And I imagine, uh, as in terms of writing the music, something that, uh, potentially be uh you know some something interesting to to explore yeah yeah i mean i I think um i think uh 
Yeah, I think again the th- the thing that Alan is is so great at is um is getting no matter who the person is, where they come from, what their beliefs are, he just plugs into the humanity and tries to get anyone relatable, whether you hate them or love them. And um that's why writing music for his his work is so exciting because it's um it comes from that place. The characters really do they're so um and I I part of part of the the beauty of what he was able to do was uh you know, with, with TV, you get so much more time with, with the characters than a, a feature film. But in Uncle Frank, he kept the cast pretty small. It's, there's not a ton of characters. And, and the result of that is you, you really feel like you, you get a sense of who these people are as they're going uh, across their journey. And like he, he it's definitely uh, more of a, a character piece than something totally driven by the plot. But uh, he he finds a way to, to sort of tie it all together really, really neatly without, uh, boiling anything that was just, uh, it really, it, it re- resonated to me, uh, so well. And it, it looked like really the work of a guy who for, for 20 years really been the, the, uh, a trailblazer on, uh, LGBTQ narrative. I mean, I, I don't know where we would be without, uh, being under on TV. Could, could agree more and then also, uh, with American beauty too, you know, he, took a very hard look at uh, homophobia uh, in, in that film too. Right. Yes. That, uh, that, and, and it's, um, it's something that we're, uh, we're, we're still kind of, uh, a, a lot of films. It's, it's really the, the need for, uh, include sort of, uh, widening the tent and bringing people in, uh, you know, the core of the core of, uh, the value of inclusivity stems from the fact that uh, if you don't do it and within the trans community, we see this all the time when people cast cisgender people or they don't have trans people, uh, the authenticity just is so, so, so blatantly fake. And Alan is just so, so good at uh, being able to write in such a way that these, these characters are uh, uh, so relatable through their, just their, their realism. Paul Bettany was just, uh, I mean, he's, he's been one of my favorite actors since, uh, I think a night's tale would have been the first movie that I saw him in. And he just, he wears such, uh, he carries Frank with such a, such a heavy heart that, uh, I, I, I really, when, when, uh, I was preparing for this, I sort of thought to myself, you know, that's gotta be a, that's gotta be a tough guy to make music for. It's what a, you just kind of want to give him a hug. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely, and and yet if the if the hug is is too big, it, it it again became saccharine and sort of took away from the performance. Um, I think when you're right. when like there's a whole sequence <clears throat> in a in a cemetery toward the end of the film, um, which when I first saw the film, uh, it it felt like it was begging for music, and then uh, as I got into the actual scoring of the film. I realized it it didn't want music at all. The performances in that scene are so good. And I don't think there was something simple enough that I could have found that would have um, done the right thing for that sequence. I think it's much more powerful uh, as it is without, without score. So, um, but yeah, uh, uncle Frank, I mean, uh, cello uh, was a, is an instrument Alan loves as can be heard throughout the score to true blood. Uh, so that's an instrument that finds its way into this score. Um, and then I have a, <clears throat> a, uh, 
pipe organ in my studio that occupies about six rooms. That was a, a big part of Hollywood history for film music. It's the organ that was uh, used in the wedding scene in The Sound of Music. And um, I, I like to get it into my projects wherever I can. And so for the flashback sequences in this film, um, there's a sort of a, an echo uh, uh, repeated line that happens. And that is actually this pipe organ. Um, and so that's, that becomes a important, if, if subtle thread throughout the score, um, to sort of <clears throat> signal that we're, we're in the past with Frank when he was younger and, and experiencing whatever we're experiencing. And then there's also sequence in the, um, <clears throat> couple sequences in a funeral home, um, where I got to use the pipe organ, uh, in its, um, uh, most sort of obvious state, which is just sort of his funeral home music. Uh, and I had a friend named Mark Herman, who's a brilliant organist, come in and play play those uh, sequences. I was going to ask that because I mean, part of <clears throat> part of the the difficulty in, in doing a, a, a flashback scene of, of the setting that that Alan was using for the uh, in, in the South was like the the whole idea uh, of the film was kind of to portray how little it had changed there, and yet with a flashback, you've got to have it take place decades earlier. So the music really helped uh establish from an audience perspective okay this is the past we're doing something totally different here and it it, it felt it came a, came across really well in a in a way that was was subtle and yet yet very easy to understand thanks yeah i think the again i think when uh, when you have a, a film with great performances and great writing and great direction the, the bandwidth of what is appropriate as far as what the music needs to do is so narrow. Uh, and that was, that was the very stressful thing and challenging thing about working on this film was like figuring out just how narrow the scope of that score should be. And then with those limited tools, giving it what it wanted. And, um, it was, it was one of the harder, f I mean, I've done over 40 films and this is definitely one of the more difficult, challenging films I've, I've had to do. And, um, um, I'm, I am, I am very pleased with the results and I know Alan is too. And so that's really fulfilling. So you've done a lot of, uh, composing for, uh, film and TV, including, uh, the Americans, uh, Hemlock Grove, Sneaky Pete. Uh, do you find that your approach is, is different between the two mediums? I know with, with television, you've got just so much more time to make music, but, uh, just interesting to hear the, the creative process and any differences that go, uh, between the two. I mean, not really. I mean, I, I guess that's, I guess, um, uh, the, the fly by the seat of your pants scheduling of television, um, doesn't allow one to, um, um, focus at times as much as we'd like as composers. Um, so I, I guess, uh, um, um, you got to become really good at getting to the core of a scene really quickly. And then you've got to move on without thinking about it. And so I think I've, I've noticed like the tiniest little motif of just like two, three, four notes in a TV show may blow up into a giant theme a couple seasons later. And that's <clears throat> certainly something you don't experience in, um, in a, in a film like, uh, uh, just because of the limited amount of time that you have to develop and introduce a score. So, um, I mean, that's, that's kind of the, <clears throat> the biggest difference. Um, I, I love both. Uh, I love having two hours to explore musical material, um, and then never return to it. And I also love, you know, like, I don't know how many hours of music I wrote for 
all seven seasons of True Blood, but it was a lot. And certainly, musically, some of the stuff that happened with these little themes that were introduced as sort of one-offs in season one um, then blew up into exciting things in later seasons. Yeah, I mean, just just thinking about uh, True Blood, how how important the music was and how well it worked. And I mean, that that actually, between that and, and Six Feet Under, really... Uh, was something I, I I thought about heading into Uncle Frank because you just kind of uh, expect it from Alan Ball. You expect uh, something that's going to uh, leave you uh, leave you feeling uh, sort of uh, emotionally drained in a good way after that, and that's certainly something that uh, Uncle Frank just totally nailed. Yeah, for sure. And I should also <clears throat> do a shout out to Gary Calamar, who's the music supervisor on this film and was also the music supervisor of True Blood. And he's always a total whiz at, at, um, finding, uh, songs, uh, in the case of this again, um, place and, uh, and period were both something that these songs had to plug into. And he's, he's a real master of that. So that was, he was like the <clears throat> very important, uh, uh, partner in, in, in music for this film. So, uh, Nathan, uh, as we wrap up, what's uh, what's next for you on the horizon? Uh, I'm doing, um, let's see, so I had a film at Universal called The Turning, which just came out uh, this last weekend, uh, directed by Floria Zygismondi. It was a really um, fun uh, horror film with Finn Wolfhard and... Uh, and then I've got a show, a second season of a show called Carnival Row at Amazon, which I'm just starting up on. Yep. And then I'm, I'm working with Ryan Murphy, another person who is very, uh, uh, wonderful in, in, uh, the way they approach LGBTQ, uh, community. Uh, and this film or this show, Hollywood, which will be on Netflix and uh, I think it's in May is, is uh, no exception. It's really, um, an exciting thing to be a part of. And then I'm also doing a, <clears throat> a show called The Great on Hulu uh, with Al Fanning and Nick Holt, which is a period piece about Catherine the Great, but very sort of naughty and and uh, and and fun. Uh, not at all um, like uh, I think there was a previous one that was that was a more serious approach, and this is a sort of a more humorous approach. So. Well, I uh, Nathan, it's been uh, great great talking with you. I I can't recommend uh, Uncle Frank enough. It it really. You kind of you kind of expect the the waterworks to to open up with something like that, but uh, the the way that Alan Alan directs uh, so so much of his uh, work, just I, I I was I was kind of expecting to cry, and then I did totally when I was not expecting to, and it it works so well. It's a it's a marvelous film that's coming it's very out. Very funny too, yeah, very funny too. Yeah, it is funny, yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. the 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 tone is. Uh, it, 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 the flow is just so great and uh it's full of those happy you get probably happy tears in a, a, a lot of ways and it's absolutely so raw and raw and emotional and uh it got it got picked up while i was at sundance so that's uh, uh amazon's gonna distribute it i think yes it is very we're all very excited about that yeah so uh our uh listeners will have to check that out because it, it's 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 something that really we need to turn the page on in terms of Enough with the uh, just relentlessly sad stories. Uh, Boys don't cry, especially comes to mind. Uh, time yeah. for uh, time for time for some happy uh, time for some happy moments. And uh, yes, yes, oh, Alan Ball <clears throat> is so great at doing that. And uh, you did such a fantastic job with the score, and I really really loved it. Thanks so much. Well, pleasure talking to you. Yep. So, uh, and to all our <clears throat> listeners, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.